following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Say, dig up, stupid. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're at. Uh, We're going to look at verse 12 through 28. Um, This is a really interesting passage of Scripture. Paul's at the end of his letter. He writes to a church uh, uh, gathered in Thessalonica. And um, these believers, modern-day Greece, if you're wondering kind of like where they're at or where they're located, that's kind of where they're at. Um, And when you get into the last uh, part of uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul kind of just says everything that he wants to say in a really condensed way. So um, for my gun guys out there, uh, you know that um, a 45, for example, will shoot a hole in a target if you're aimed the right way. Um, That's not Paul's weapon of choice here. Paul is going to uh, speak to us like a shotgun with a bird shell in it for you Indiana folk, right? He is just going to kind of pray and spray, and it's just going to go everywhere. So uh, there's really four sermons in today's one sermon. So we're going to walk through Paul's last um, words to these Thessalonian believers who are dealing with persecution and problems and pain because of the gospel that they received. If Jesus has done a great work in your heart, then it should be evident in the work that you're doing out in the world. These Thessalonian believers were so amped up about the gospel of Jesus Christ that it was affecting every area of their life. Their walk with the Lord was amazing. They wanted everybody to know about it. They were not apologetic about the gospel that they had received. And so as we look at the last part of this letter, Paul says, this is how you faithfully walk with the Lord. This is what it should look like, not just for the Thessalonians, but also for us. So it goes all these 2,000 years into our laps. And what we learn here today is this is how you have a faithful walk with God. This is what it should look like in your everyday life. If the gospel has done any work underneath the skin, this is what it should look like in your everyday endeavors. Sermon number one, you should respect and honor your spiritual leaders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, now let's not take the women out of this equation, brothers and sisters, that's what he's talking about, the believers who are gathered at Thessalonica. We ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13. You should esteem them very highly in love because of their works. Paul says the first thing that we do is we respect and honor your spiritual leaders and elders of community gospel. Say amen. Because <laughs> that's who Paul is talking to. Paul is telling the entire congregation that is gathered, probably reading his letter out loud, to respect those who labored among you. These laborers are men who toiled. If you want to circle that word toil, if you have it in your text, it means they worked hard to provide pastoral care for you. 
There is a structure in church. There is a structure in church. As a matter of fact, if we study the New Testament, we realize that there are pastors of churches, there's elders of churches, and there's deacons of churches. Pastors shepherd the flock with the help of the elders. They work alongside of them. They take care of the spiritual needs of the congregation. If you do something this week for me, would you please, on your slip, you will see the elders of Community Gospel Church pray for them and their family every single day this week and for the remainder of this year. And why not? As the church carries on for the rest of the life of the church. We pray for these people because they are taking care of spiritual needs in our congregation. Now, notice it says that they take care of you, but also uh, they labored among you. So these are people who were men in the church who in their spare time in the early church took care of the congregation and had full-time jobs outside of the church. So Paul says these men are leaders who are over the congregation who do this because they love you. These are individuals who had positions of spiritual leadership in the church. And guess what? They're responsible to God for your spiritual well-being. So elders, leaders among you, over you, those people who have responsibilities in the church are people who are responsible to God. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 kind of connects to this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17... That you should obey your spiritual leaders. That you should do what they say. And when do we get a chance to disobey our spiritual leaders? When they tell you to do something contradictory to the word of God. I have full faith in all of our leaders at church. that They are helping and spurring you on to do what the Bible says to do. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God for you. So it wasn't just said once in the New Testament, it was said all over the word, all over the New Testament. Now, Paul, interestingly, he uses this word admonish. That's an interesting word. Circle that in the text. Admonish is the word exhortation. And it is the act of encouraging or urging others in their spiritual growth. Oftentimes this is done through teaching or counseling. Exhortation is a God-given gift that is given by the Holy Spirit. It's listed in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. To edify or support fellow believers. Those with the gift of exhortation build relationships, come alongside people, and model holiness well. Their whole purpose is to strengthen the church. And as they strengthen the church, sometimes they're going to say things that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. And that's our job. Because as we build up the church... We realize that we, as a congregation, have an attitude towards these individuals. And so there's three attitudes that Paul walks by. He says, first of all, in verse 12, first part, he says you should respect them in their God-given position. You should respect that individual that they have been given a God-given position. Now, here's the crazy thing about New Testament theology. All of us, men, all of us should aspire to the position of elder. I remember when I first got to Community Gospel Church, There was a little murmur that happened among the congregation where people said, man, you want to be in the leadership position at the church? Nobody wants to do that. It was often looked down upon. Like people would actually like make fun of our elders for being elders. And I thought to myself, in the Bible it says you should strive to be a leader of the church. Men, you should strive to this position. 
You should want this. Now, this makes it hard for us as elders sometimes when people want to be in that position because they're like, yeah, I want to do that. And we're like, well, hold on a second because aren't we supposed to be humble? <laughs> so it's, it's one thing we aspire to and we see that. And as a congregation, we respect this God-given position. We view it as, as one that God has given to us. Number two, in verse 13, it says you esteem or you hold them very highly. It doesn't say you put them on a pedestal. You look up to them, but you don't necessarily worship them. Actually, you don't worship them. And then you be at peace with one another. Now, I have the opportunity to interact with a lot of churches. As part of being in the free church, it's just been an awesome opportunity to lead our ministerial and interact with guys all over um, in regards to our little district that we have here. And what I'm finding is many conflicts and division in today's church are credited to the people who attend church disagreeing or failing to follow Paul's command here. They put down the leadership that has been over or entrusted to their care. Now, there's a way to handle some maybe problems that we have, but really Paul's God-given command here is you respect them, you esteem them, and then you live at peace with one another. Now, we take that a tear down because too often church leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, staff, ministry heads, all those things are targets for criticism as congregations have unrealistic expectations. Let me just tell you this in a, in a, in a really easy way. We're human too, and we're going to make mistakes, but we're striving for holiness, and that should cause people to be respectful and esteem and be at peace. And let me just say something. If you're here today and you have church hurt or somebody was in a position of leadership that did something to you, I apologize because that's not how it should be. But that defines for us exactly what we're striving to do, to be graceful and realize that the expectations placed upon us cause us to treat people with respect and esteem and be at peace. So the question on the table is, how do I treat our church leadership? Do I enjoy finding their faults or do I show them my appreciation? Seek out some of these leaders and just say thank you. People thrive from support and love. This is what Paul says. This is the agape love made manifest in the appreciation of others gifting. So Paul says you got to honor and respect your spiritual leaders. All right. So number two, sermon number two, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. The bird shells are flying. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle. Now, this is kind of interesting. This gets, this gets interesting. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See how he's kind of like spraying? He's like, oh, and don't forget this, and don't forget this, and don't forget this. Now, with that said, church leaders don't get a free pass to do whatever they want. And the congregation said amen. Paul tells the entire congregation that they're responsible to minister to each other or to hold one another accountable. You might have it another way in the text. It says this is where you spur one another on, okay? There are four ongoing and continuous responsibilities that you have as believers connected to the church of Jesus Christ. Number one, you do get to admonish the idol. That word means warn. It means to firmly reprimand in sin issues. Church. If somebody in our congregation is caught up in a sin issue, you got to speak into that. You don't just let that go. 
You got to speak into it. Hey, that's got to stop. We're around each other all the time. If we're in a gossip circle, you're the person that says, let's stop gossiping. If you're in a situation where people are making fun of other people underhandedly, you get to stop that. Whose responsibility is it? It's our responsibility. Starts with me. All believers were to warn idle. Now, Paul's going to talk about this in 2 Thessalonians. That word idle is lazy believers. I want you on the count of three to name the laziest believer you know. (laughs) Just kidding. Please don't. (laughs) The Greek word lazy is interesting. It was used for soldiers who wouldn't stay in rank. Idle people set themselves outside the prearranged pattern or ranks for the church. In other words, everybody was working or serving, but these people wouldn't. I say this as much love as as possible, but essentially, it's when you see a need in the church and you say, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. The problem for idle people is that they usually stirred up trouble of one kind or another because they didn't, they weren't busy doing the work of the Lord, so they were busy doing something else, and that was stirring up trouble. These people needed to be warned. Hey, get back in the ranks. Get to work. Let's serve together. Use your God-given gifts in service for the Lord's kingdom. What's funny is you know this person at work. Amen? Like, you know who I'm talking about. Don't be that guy. Verse 14 carries on. He says, number two, you also encourage the faint-hearted. Now, here's, here's the deal, all right? Let me, just, let me just do a checklist real quick on how I think we're doing as a congregation. Number one, you guys respect the elders well, the deacons well. You guys do a great job of that. You love the leaders of the church. I just want to say thank you for that. I think you're doing a fantastic job there. How we're doing in um, warning the week, I think we're at like probably an 80%. I think we're doing pretty good there. This is where I think you thrive, though. The word encourage is the same word used in chapter 2, verse 12, if you want to go back there. It says that we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That word encourage means to come alongside with helpful instruction or insight. Well, lazy people needed to be warned, faint-hearted meant timid people who needed to be encouraged because they lacked confidence in themselves and in the faith. These people became discouraged easily. They worried about things constantly, and they needed the help of another believer to calm fears and build confidence. I hear this all the time in our church. I see you praying with one another. I see you talking to one another. I see you building each other up. We are all in some sort of situation where we need somebody to just come alongside and say, hey, I see you and I care. You know, we've been doing these uh, parent support groups for a solid week now, so we only had one. (laughs) But it was funny, last week in the parent support group, uh, an individual shared very heartfelt about what was going on transpiring just in parenting. And another individual looked across him and said, I see you and I care. And I'm sorry you're going through that, but I'm here to help. That's the body of Christ. Sometimes we don't have answers. We just need to be there for each other. So sometimes if you're searching for an answer, just sit with somebody and just be in that moment with them. Love them. Encourage them. Care for them. Encourage, Paul says, the faint-hearted. 14 continues. He says, then you help the weak. means you take tender care of 
this is, for those of you that aren't physical touch people, I hate to tell you this, but this literally means you wrap your arms around somebody and you cling to them. It's a spiritual hug. It's Jessica Crawman's birthday today. Give her a spiritual hug. I'm going to be in so much trouble tomorrow for that. But those weak in the faith can be struggling, need, have a need, be an immature believer who needs their an arm of another just coming alongside of them. I love what Romans chapter 14, verse 1 says actually about this. It says, you accept other believers who are weak in the faith. You don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. You're just there with them. You just love them. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then, if you pray for patience, you always will get it. <laughs> so 14 concludes, be patient with everyone. Patience is the glue that holds all these things together. Now, if you want to circle the word patience, patience can be translated long-suffering, and long-suffering is actually an attribute of God that is in Exodus 34 and Psalm 103. It's also a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and a characteristic of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Since God is patient with people, all believers must strive to be patient with one another. Remember, God's given His Spirit to help us there. I am not patient with people. And so there's a lot of times where I just have to pray, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help me be patient with this person. Help me to to sympathize, to just be there next to them. Now, uh, Bruce Barton, who's a commentator, I love what he says. He says, don't loaf around with the idle. You warn them. Don't yell at the timid and weak. You encourage and help them. And at times, it's difficult to distinguish between idleness and and people who are timid, right? Correct? Like that, that's kind of a thin line. Two people may be doing nothing, one out of laziness, the other out of shyness or fear doing something uh, wrong. Then he continues, and he says, the key to ministry is being sensitive. And being sensitive, church, comes through prayer. Sensing the condition of the other person and offering the appropriate remedy for each situation. You know what this means? This means we think before we talk. We think about the things that we're going to say before we talk. Most of the time, people want to give statements instead of asking questions. Do your best to ask as many questions as possible before you give a statement, especially when dealing with these type of people. Because you can't effectively help until you know the problem. And you can't apply the medicine until you know what is causing the pain. Ask questions before you give statements. Questions get us so much farther with people than statements do. We oftentimes just listen so that we can talk instead of listen so that we can care. And caring comes through questioning. Sermon number three, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil. That's a huge bummer. <laughs> but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. How many Bird shells are in this casing. Holy cow. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what Paul's saying here is, he's saying, in all of those things, respecting your leaders, warning the congregation, your goal as a believer is to pursue holiness and be grateful. In honoring the church leaders, working diligently for the Lord, Paul knew believers, not just the Thessalonians, were pursuing holy living. He wants them to continue in that by patiently seeking another person's best. That's the definition of love. True love seeks the other person's best. A person who seeks the other person's best is holy in the eyes of the Lord because they're set apart for a specific purpose. 
The opposite of that is retaliation, which is not an option for us as believers. We are not called to retaliate. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us over and over again, the judgment is mine, says the Lord. You're not called to retaliate. I want to. I feel sometimes like I need to. And God says, hold on just a second. We never have the right to repay evil for evil. We are always, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, to seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So what's it look like? Well, he gives you three ways to pursue holiness. The first way is to rejoice always. You cannot be critical and rejoice at the same time. It's scientifically impossible. You cannot be grateful for something and critical about something at the same time. It's impossible. The way that your brain is wired, you cannot do the same thing. So Paul personally knows about rejoicing in hardship. He wants to impart to believers that true joy surpasses circumstance when they embrace a consistent walk with Jesus. The joy of living with Jesus daily keeps us as believers rejoicing always, first of all, in the salvation that we have received, second of all, in the situations that we experience. Salvation is the start of sanctification. Hardships cause us to grow in sanctification. In other words, there's seasons in our life where you can't grow if you don't have the tension. We don't grow in good times. We grow in hard times. So it's almost like Paul looks at it and he's like, hey, I kind of wish that you guys would have some more hard times. By the way, I don't pray that for you as a pastor. Like, that just seems weird. But here, the ability to rejoice always has been given to us as a gift from the Holy Spirit. Let's partner Galatians 5, with Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in what? In the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us for these things. So you have to ask yourself, how can I rejoice in the problems and pain that I experience? You got to pray that God would help you to see that he is working for the good of those who love him. Which brings us to 17. Here's prayer. When do I pray? We pray all the time, Paul says. You pray without ceasing. What does that look like? Does that mean I spend all my time on my knees with my eyes closed? Let me just uh, drop this like spiritual truth bomb to you just real quick. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you close your eyes and bow your head when you pray. Not once. Not one time. Matter of fact, it says you should lift your head up to the heavens and pray to the Lord your God. The reason we say close your eyes and bow your head is because our kids... (laughs) have attention spans the size of little small ants and they wander so a long time ago somebody got the great idea they're like if you close your eyes and bow your head everybody will focus and concentrate that works for about five minutes so here paul says you are to pray without ceasing to always have a prayerful attitude means a couple of things number one it means you constantly are dependent upon the lord in all things all things means all things That means you're constantly praying for everything. Sometimes I'm just praying that the Lord uh, keeps me standing and I don't fall over walking downstairs. Sometimes I pray that I don't run into people. Sometimes I pray to the Lord that I don't uh, tell that person who cut me off in traffic about what I really think about them. Sometimes I pray that I keep my kids alive for another day. Sometimes I just have to pray about things that are developing as they develop. 
I have to always be aware that God is present in that situation. If the Holy Spirit lives within me, guess what? He's working in that situation. I got to be dependent upon him. I also have to be determined that obedience is possible with him. We have to constantly be reminded that obedience is possible when we pray. Prayer is always a part of every believer's daily walk. I'm sorry that you're going through this, but I think it is for your sanctification. I think it is for your good. And I just want to sit there with you in that. It is vital for our spiritual life. Remember, Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 18, he says, you always pray, you never give up. Well, guess what? If you have confessed your sin, believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, entered into the family of God, you're a disciple too. So that command to his disciples is a command to you. Now, it kind of bookends because then Paul says, verse 18, first part, he says, you give thanks in all circumstances. I think this would totally radically change everything, don't you? Can you imagine that hard guy at work? You just look at him like, man, I'm so thankful for you in my life. Be genuine about it. Can you imagine that? Maybe some of you who are married, you look at your spouse, say, I'm just so grateful for you that God's put me in my life. Sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it. <laughs> but rejoicing in prayer leads a believer to be grateful. Now, notice Paul doesn't say for everything give thanks. He says in everything give thanks. Daniel gave thanks in the lion's den. Joseph gave thanks in jail. There's in all things we give thanks. When hardship comes, because it will, we can be thankful for the Lord's presence of what he accomplishes in our distress. That's why we say Romans 8.28 all the time. For God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Solon Kierkegaard said, Life is to be lived forward but only understood backwards. It's the story of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, when he got to the top of the mountain, he realized just how good God was when he looked back at how God had provided. So here we see there's thanks in all circumstances. Now, here's the crazy thing about Abraham. If you study that passage of scripture, Abraham had things to do. He had a list to do. And God looked at him and said, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Abraham let the Lord frustrate his life because he knew more circumstances for his good would come out of that. God can and does use difficult times to build his people's character and strengthen their faith. You got to let it happen. And look at the second part of verse 18. It's easy to give thanks for the good blessings, but it's difficult to give thanks for the hard ones. Those situations that make no sense or those situations that are extremely painful. Believers give thanks in every circumstance. For why? Underline this in your Bible. It's so good. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It might not make sense now, but when you get to the top of that mountain, when eternity calls, it will all make sense. It will all, you'll understand. You'll see that it was God's will for us to learn to trust him completely. The Bible even says God disciplines those whom he loves. You discipline your kids because you love them. God does the same thing, not because he's bad, because he loves you. So we welcome that discipline because it teaches us to trust him completely, knowing he's in charge. Everything happens for his reasons, whether you see it or not. So to pursue holiness and gratitude in this way, Paul says this is how you're persistent in your faith. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. We talked about it a little bit when we were in Exodus, but how do we grow as believers? 
little by little. Little by little we grow. Our faith is a persistent, patient faith. And our confidence does not cease if God's answers to prayer come slowly. You may be praying a prayer right now that you think God is not answering. That's not true. He's like, I just work slower than you do. And that's okay. You got to let him work in his time. A delay may be God's way of working out his will. So when you feel tired, you remember that God is present. He listens. He answers. But it might not always be in the ways that you want. Fourth sermon. Submission. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul's getting in all of his words. <laughs> and now, he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. There's that word. Set you apart for his glory And may he do it completely, not just part of the way. And may your whole spirit, I love how Paul's doing, the whole body. He's like, let's talk about all those things, even the dark basement corners in your life that that nobody knows about. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be kept blameless when he comes back again. Now, Paul gives three really quick commands here. The first command is don't quench the spirit. Scripture talks about this all the time. The Holy Spirit's kind of like a flame. I got a joke for that. I'm not going to say it because it's going to offend somebody. So we're just going to let that go. Paul warns the church not to quench or stifle his work. But here's what it looks like to fan the flame. When you fan the flame that God has given to you, this Holy Spirit that has been given to us, that means that you welcome conviction and instruction and discipline into your life. Paul will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16, he will say, this is how you are successful the more disciplined you are. Don't quench the spirit when he disciplines you. Don't quench the spirit when he convicts you. Don't quench the spirit when he's working in your life. Number two, he says, as a matter of fact, test everything. So all these uh, so-called prophets are coming into the church, and there's all these people that said that they had a message from God. Now, you guys probably don't get that. I get this all the time in my life. People are like, God told me. I'm like, oh, hold on a second. Spirit-given prophecies were considered valuable, but Paul said you should test those against Scripture. As a matter of fact, a test for truth and genuineness is found in John's word in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, now that's, there's the act, the term of endearment. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do you do that? With his word. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. They still are there today. And here's the test you got to check, first of all, to see if their words match God's word. You should be doing that to me every single Sunday. You should be looking at me every single Sunday. Is Pastor Jordan, is he saying what God's word says? Is he saying his own personal opinion? Then he says, check to see if this person is committed to the body of Christ, which is the church. A lot of people get messages from God that don't love the church. You don't love the church, you didn't get a message from God. That doesn't work that way. And then you check to make sure that person's lifestyle is manifesting fruit. There's a lot of people out there who have messages from God, who have horrible mouths, who have very adulterous lifestyles, who are extremely 
discourteous to people who are in their life. That's not how it works. You got a message from God. Your lifestyle better match up. So Paul's saying, hey, you're, you're taking some of these things at, at, at face value. The people who are talking to you, they're not even manifesting fruit. The most important test of all, though, is what a person believes about Jesus Christ. I just read this the other day. This guy had a great quote. And then I went and did a deep dive on him. And you deep dive on somebody, man, that, that gets real, real fast. There's some websites from like 1960 that are still out there. Um, and there was no websites in 1960. So just, I don't know if you caught that or not, but yeah. And I started reading this person's uh, resume. Got to the bottom of the resume, and I realized this person didn't even believe that Jesus was God. What are we doing? That's not true. That can't come. That, that's not truth. People will either say Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or the Messiah. One of three things. So Paul says, Spirit's going to come in. He's going to convict. You're going to get all these messages. Test them. And then he says, abstain, verse 22, from evil. Paul did not mean believers were to withdraw from the world like the Amish do. Because if we withdraw from the world, that means we can't shine the light of Christ to the lost. But we can't avoid contact with every kind of evil. This world is evil. It's ruled by evil. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. But we can make sure we don't give evil a foothold by avoiding tempting situations and concentrate on obeying God. It's just transpired in our house. There's a certain movie that I love from the 90s, which will remain nameless. And my wife's already laughing, which is a great sign. And I decided that as a uh, parent, I was going to show it to my children. And here's the deal. The rating system in the 90s was way different than the rating system today. So every movie in the 90s that is rated PG is not. It's R. I didn't know that, but I'm finding it out slowly. And so... We're watching this movie, and Bethany's looking at me, and there's two spirits in the house. There's the Bethany spirit and the Holy Spirit. Both sound very familiar, very similar. <clears throat> and the, the girls looked at us, and they said, we hear it all the time at school. It's no big deal, Dad. We hear it all the time at school. Everybody, everybody talks like that at school. Here comes Bethany. And by the way, when we get to heaven, Bethany gets to talk all the time, and I don't get to talk at all. That's how that works. But Bethany says, it's one thing for you to be in school and hear it. It's another thing to welcome it into our home. Mm, she was right. Movie goes off. Listen to your wives, guys. They're there to compliment you, not compete with you. That's hard. But that's exactly what he's saying there. He's saying, you go out in the world, guess what? The world's evil. And you're going to have to be around it. But when you come back into your home... It doesn't get a chance to be there. Paul's saying, verse 23, in doing these things, the God of peace sanctifies you as believers. Where did he get this? How did he know? Right before his death, Jesus told his disciples, John chapter 14, verse 27, John chapter 16, verse 33, peace I leave you, peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives you. There are some times in your life right now that you do not have peace because you are consumed with the things of this world. How do I know? Because I experience the same way. I spend too much time on a screen. I don't have peace. I spend a lot of time in this word. I have peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. I told you these things so that in me, that's in Christ, you may have peace. This is why we pass the peace every Sunday morning. 
Peace be with you and also with you. How? From Christ. Take heart. I've overcome the world. The result of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer is internal peace and eternal peace. Worldly peace is the absence of conflict, but Holy Spirit peace is the confident assurance that in any circumstance that we need, we don't have to fear the present or the future because of the one that dwells within us. And Paul says in verse 23, one day the God of peace will come to reign in ultimate final peace. And he gives you a taste of that now. Now, I love the third part of verse 23. At salvation, God begins the process of sanctification. He makes a change in believers' lives as they grow in the faith. You can, even be, you can either be frustrated by this, or you can be filled and found fruitful by this. When God starts to make changes in your life, I remember when I was just a, a, an immature believer, just came to know Jesus. God started taking stuff away. I was like, man, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know about this Jesus guy. And this little by little, he would take this thing away, then this thing away, then this thing away. God's still in the process of doing that. It's kind of frustrating. But if life is to be meant lived forward, but understood backward, every time I get forward with God taking something away, I find fruit looking backward. So Jesus said, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. As Jesus goes to prepare a place for us in eternity, he also prepares us for eternity by sanctifying us and setting us apart by the work of the Spirit. And while perfection doesn't occur until we're in heaven, sanctification is the process of moving us towards that goal, moving us towards Christ-likeness. God has to be involved with every aspect of our life. One of the first steps of that is baptism. One of the first steps of that is to be obedient in baptism. Some of us need to get baptized. That's a step of faith. We're having a baptism on Thanksgiving. What better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than throwing you under some water? Then after baptism, we're called to be present at church. We're called to be a part of the body of Christ. We're called to spend time in his word. We're called to pray. We're called to fellowship. And you can either be frustrated that God is rearranging your priorities or you can be filled. But you got to let him do it. Now, the best part is he closes after all four sermons with verse 24. And he says, he who calls you, I love this, I love this. He says, he who calls you is faithful. In other words, he will not cause you to flounder. He's not going to be the person who is going to do something in your life for wrong reasons. He will do it because he is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says it twice. So brothers, he says, as a church, as you do all four of these things, he says, pray for us because we can't do it by ourselves. And then I love this. This is going to be our doxology today. As everybody goes to the left or the right, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. We'll bring that one back. What he's saying here is he's saying you got to pursue being in the family of God. And I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all your brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I can only imagine how many of the Thessalonian believers just screamed as the letter was over. Amen. And amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I love Paul's benediction. 
that you will do all of it. Not one promise will not be left undone. You will do all of it. Lord, we need your help because some of us just find ourselves frustrated that you keep interrupting our plans and our to-do lists and our priorities. And we just ask that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us to let that work be made complete. Some of us here, Lord, don't have a relationship with you through faith and trust in you. And if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with the living God through faith in Christ. The Bible makes it so simple. Say, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that Jesus's blood covers my sin. Come into the family of God. So many of us have done that, Lord. And yet there's a lot of us who are still trying to work for our salvation. We're still trying to work to be in your good grace instead of seeing every opportunity that we have in this earth entrusted to our care is not an act of works, but it's an opportunity, an obligation to worship. And so we ask that you would help us to worship this week by the grace that we have received, that we would pray for one another, support one another in that agape love, the love that we've accepted through Jesus Christ. God, help us to be faithfully walking with you, to have just that closer walk with you, to be dependent on you, to pray to you in all seasons, realizing that, yes, it is true. You are working for the good of those who love you. Do a great work in our lives based off of your word, your truth, as we strive to live this out this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.